0: Lord Jesus, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to recognize the gift that you've given, that you've given us your words, what you want us to know you've written down, and that as we approach it, well, I just thank you that, you that you want to talk to us, that, it's a, that, that your word is alive, and that it, it does speak. Not that it can speak, but it does speak. And so I pray today that you'd help us to hear what it is you're saying. It doesn't matter what somebody else hears. It matters that we hear what you're saying to us. Help us to remember that. Help us to hear you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, I want to just do a quick review. Last week, you know, once again, we're looking at uh, the story of Jesus kind of through a different lens, a different set of lenses. The lens is found in Galatians chapter 4, where, where Paul uh, is talking to the church and he says that he's waiting. He's waiting until. Christ is formed in them. And so as you hear that language, it kind of it paints a picture of this what's going on inside of us. Is Christ is being formed in us. And you know, we receive Jesus into our lives. We talk about that we have that language. We receive his spirit. But do we think about it in these terms of he's being formed in me? Christ is being formed in us where we become less, he becomes greater. Other language would be that we die to ourselves. We are, no longer cru- we are crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that, that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And if we look at that language as he's being formed in us, we can maybe look at the story of Jesus as, as this formation of Jesus, how, how Jesus kind of grew and how he, he, uh, uh, the things that he went through. And, and we can begin to ask ourselves, well, what, how does that relate to what's happening in me? As he's being formed in me. And so as we look at our story, last week we looked at uh, Jesus had just been in, preaching in the synagogue. And as he left the synagogue, he went to uh, Peter's house. And there he, uh, he encountered Peter's mother-in-law. And it's the first time we actually discover that Peter actually was married. Okay? And, um, so, and he ends up healing her of a high fever. And the points that I made, just to remind you if you were here, if you weren't here, then shame on you. And No, I'm just kidding. Um, then it, this might not mean a lot, so I, but just it helps me. If I preached it and I come to the next Sunday morning and I'm like, I don't even what did I preach last week, right? So it helps me to stop and go, okay, wait a minute, oh yeah. And then I can honestly, as I sit down, I'm like, Wait a minute, look at this. This is what I preached, and as I kind of look back over my week, I can say, ah, that's kind of this reminder of, oh, it helps me to look at things a little bit differently, okay? And so um, this last week, uh, last Sunday, I I preached about, first of all, as we look at the story, we recognize that a fever is not an illness. Fever is actually a symptom of something else, but yet Luke tells us here that uh, she had a high fever. Luke didn't tell us what she was sick from, just a symptom of it, okay? Maybe it's possible that, that oftentimes we just want God to fix our symptoms, but we really he really wants to fix the illness, okay? So we recognize we have a fever, and, and it's good for us to say, oh, you know what, that's probably not the issue. And I don't know about you, but there are times that I think my fever is my issue, And I need to to recognize there's always, oftentimes there's something a little bit farther there, farther in. And I need to let him work work on me in that area. So the fever is just a symptom. The second thing was, is is the fever in the story, what we see is when when Jesus healed her of the fever, she got up and started serving. Okay? Now, Jesus didn't heal her so that she would get him some food. Okay? He healed her because she was in need. But when the fever left her, she started serving. So, you know, there's, there's opportunities we give. Let me rephrase that. There's opportunities that come up within the church to serve. And there are times, I just got to be honest with you, it is like pulling teeth to get people to volu- to help. Okay? We have reasons. Well, I got this going on, I got this, and I have this, and I you know... Is it possible the reason we don't serve is because we have a fever? And all those things, those reasons we give for why we don't serve, is it possible those are our fever? Those are the things that we've allowed to get in the way? And that God needs to, we need healing from that. Okay, and the last point I I made was that, um, listen, we didn't know Peter was even married until Jesus encounters his mother-in-law. We wouldn't even known she existed had, she not, had Jesus not healed her. Which means the only reason we see what God did is because we found out about her problem. How often in our lives do we try to hide our problems? Do we just want to leave them, you know, like God heal me from those, so I don't have, I don't have to hide from them anymore. I don't have to, I don't want to, to, you know, be fake anymore. What would the Bible look like if we, if if the people that were wrote about, that were written about, what what would it be like if if all of them said, hey, I don't actually want people to know I had problems. The Bible would be really short. Okay. It would, the, the gospel story, the Jesus' life story would probably be, and he healed some people, and, uh, and then he died. Okay? Okay, that might be a little bit of exaggeration, but um, how often do we maybe need to let people know, this is what's going on in my life. This is my fever. This is my favor. This is the issue. We're afraid we're not a good example when we let people know the things that we're struggling with. Quite honestly, I've seen the opposite. When we share what we're struggling with, sometimes it convicts other people. Sometimes it encourages other people. Sometimes people decide they want to pray for you. What a great thing. It's our pride often that keeps us from it. The only reason we know her is because of her problem. Therefore, the only reason God gets to use that story is because we know about her. What does God want to do with your problems? Does he want to just heal them and and then you can pretend like you never had them? Or does he want to use them? Okay, so that was last week as we look at that, and so we move on with the story. Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 40 through 44, all right? So once again, Jesus has preached in the synagogue, and he cast out a demon, and then he went to Simon Peter's house, and he, and he healed this, the mother-in-law of a, a high fever, and this is what we read in verse 40, it says this, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, as we look at this story, there's some things that I just noticed that I thought, I need to pause for a minute on that. Now let me just say that what, that's what I'm looking for. When I read, especially for a sermon, but when I read scripture, I'm looking for the things that I don't understand, the things that, I, that, that maybe catch me. I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I get kind of moving along, and I, and I kind of fill in the blanks as I read rather than listen to what's being said. Sometimes I fill in the blanks wrong. Okay? Sometimes, and hopefully it'll make sense in a moment, but, but sometimes I, I, I catch myself and I go, hey, wait a minute, that didn't say what I thought it would say. Well, those are important things that we should probably stop and go, maybe I need to stop and listen to that for a moment. So my challenge is maybe the points that I pick Aren't the ones that you noticed as you read this? My challenge would be that you would go home this week and go. I need to look at that passage again, and I need to spend a little bit of time on that statement or that phrase and see if is there something there that I'm supposed to hear. There's something there that God's saying to me that I need to spend some time on. All right. So that's my challenge. So as we go to this verse, this passage, uh, the first thing that I noticed was. He says that, he makes the statement at sunset. Okay? I might not have caught that except for in the next paragraph he says at daybreak. So you have at sunset and at daybreak and I thought to myself, there's, I could have just read right over that. And I don't want to do that. I want to stop for a minute and look at that. And so the, at sunset, here's what I discovered. And it's nothing groundbreaking, but I think it's an interesting point, all right? Um, it was the Sabbath. Jesus was, was preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath And um, the people were observing the law. They came to the synagogue, and they heard Jesus. When the sun sets on the Sabbath, it was considered the end of the Sabbath. Okay? So the sun setting means Sabbath is over. Now let's pause for a minute. Let's, Let's let that sink in. What does that look like? I think in pictures, so here's my picture. This one's technically a movie, but in in my head, it's a little bit like the sun sets, and all of a sudden, the town goes, whoop, and gathers around Jesus, okay? Maybe a little bit like a zombie movie or something, you know, the sun's, anyway. uh, So uh, (laughs) uh, the sun sets, and all of a sudden, people just start coming out of the woodwork with their sick people. Luke isn't specific about the things that Jesus healed. Did you hear that? Now, Luke is a guy of detail. When he shares, he usually gives lots of detail. In this, in this instance, he says he healed various diseases. Now, we can say that Luke considered that that stuff wasn't important, or is it possible? Is it possible that there were so many people that Jesus healed that the important thing was to say he, he, he healed a whole slew of things? Okay? Let's think about this for a minute. Jesus is hanging out at Simon's house. The sun sets, and all of a sudden, there is a crowd of people carrying their sick. Isn't it kind of sad? They had to wait till sunset. They were observing the law. And yet, we see Jesus heal on the Sabbath. That is God's work. That is what God is interested in. And so we see they, they waited until sunset, which is really sad. And yet, what we see is it must have just been like the, almost the whole town came out. And they were excited about it, Right? And I would picture in the way the movie goes is, is that you know everybody kind of gets tired and eventually they all kind of head home again, right? It's about time for them to go home and get some sleep. And, and so the, it quiets down. And at daybreak, or in Mark's words, in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went to a solitary place as I stop and I listen to that, as I think about what that looked like, who do you think was the most tired? I mean, it's not a competition, right? I mean, I I almost want to say, well, this is what I did yesterday. And this morning I got up really early, and I'm exhausted. In fact, actually, I did that to Ryan earlier, but uh, he got less sleep than I did, so he won. But... uh, Anyway, uh, there's this a little bit of this, and I think to myself, just a minute, okay? They got healed. They brought their family members for Jesus to heal, and who was doing all the work? Jesus was. And we know from another story in Scripture, Jesus is walking along, and a woman who's been bleeding for years reaches out and she touches his robe, and he stops and he says, "Who touched me? I felt power." Leave me. I know this is maybe a weird thought, but do you, do you hear that? That maybe it's the healing. Jesus, what he was doing was, was expelling energy. It was tiring. The whole town had come out. Now look, I'll tell you, after Sunday morning, um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a mess, Okay? I'm just tired. I just want to zone out. Poor Sabrina doesn't, doesn't get very good conversation with me. I mean, you know, because most of the time, I'm an amazing conversationalist. <laughs> but... Uh, um, <laughs> so I look at this and I think, I mean, I bet of anybody in the group, he was the one that was exhausted. And yet... The next morning, while it was still dark, before anybody else had gotten up, he went off to a solitary place. In fact, Mark tells us he went off to a solitary place to pray. How important do you think it was for Jesus to go to that solitary place? Of anybody, he had the... Of anybody in that group, he had the right to sleep in. Right? Nobody else had a good excuse. Well, I mean, Jesus just healed me yesterday. I needed some extra sleep. (laughs) And yet, he's the first one up. At daybreak. So then the solitary place... I think it's important. It's it's just real quick, but Mark says that he went to pray. It's not just that he went to get up by himself. This is a critical part of Jesus' day. This is a critical piece in his purpose that he got up to go and pray to the Father. Spent time with his heavenly Father. And I say it's critically important to to his purpose because here's what happens. The crowd finds him, and the first things out of his mouth are, I need to go proclaim the good news of of the kingdom of God to the rest of the towns. Hang on to that for a moment, okay? He makes the statement, for this is why I was sent. This is why I was sent. Now, I'm a little slow, okay, from time to time, but that statement made me go, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't sent to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. Jesus was was sent to die for my sins. Well, for our sins. I mean, that's what I would have said. So that statement causes me to pause for a minute and go, wait a minute. That's one of those, I fill in the blanks. And it stops me and it goes, this is why Jesus was sent? To proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. The first things out of his mouth after he spent time with God. We're being told something here. I mean, with that picture of the town hunting him down, they were ready. They were ready to get their Messiah. I mean, that's what they were expecting. Listen, in those days, they knew the Messiah was coming sometime soon. And they were watching for him. Men had come before Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah. They, were, they knew he was supposed to show up soon. They expected it. They thought it. So they were watching it. And so Jesus shows up, and he's done an amazing thing. Guess what? The night before, they go... They probably went to their homes and thought, man, we gotta, we got to make sure we don't miss a beat here. I want to get on the ground floor in this, in this deal, and we're going to go find him the next morning. They were ready for their Messiah. It's an unspoken, but they were waiting for this kind of thing. That's why they were all up in arms. That's why they were so excited. That's why they didn't want him to leave. You know what? Throughout the gospel, we see Jesus is is kind of, there's this question about him. The Pharisees were always wondering it. The crowd was wondering it. And the question was, I mean, is he it? Is this the guy? John the Baptist even asked, are you the one we're waiting for? And so we read this that the, the crowd came looking for him, right? It's, it's kind of a weak. I don't want to say it's a weak translation, it's a mild translation. It really would have been better a translation of uh, something to the effect of they went vigorously searching for him. They were hunting him down. That would be Darren's language, okay? They hunted him down. A little bit of a excitement, a frenzy. Do you hear the picture here? They're like, we can't let this guy get away. They wanted to make sure he didn't leave. Once again, kind of a soft translation. They wanted to to detain him. They wanted to keep him from leaving down. I don't know how you read that, but it sure sounds a little bit like they've surrounded him and were saying, you're not going anywhere. Okay. but here's what's going on. Here's what's wrong with this whole situation. Because something's wrong here, because if it wasn't wrong, Jesus probably would have said, yeah, I can stay a little bit longer, right? I mean, time is not one of those things that he's worried about. So something was going on that wasn't right. And what I see is, is there are two, two parts of the problem. See, they didn't. There was a thing. There was something they didn't understand. The first thing they didn't understand was they didn't understand what the Messiah was. I mean, they were watching for the Messiah. They just didn't understand what they were watching for. Think about it. Even the disciples, after Jesus was crucified, they were lost. They're having the, the conversation with the two men on the road to Emmaus. You know what they're saying? We thought he was the one. And he's dead. They didn't understand what the Messiah was. They didn't understand what they were looking for. And then they didn't understand the kingdom of God. Okay? Jesus refuses to stay, not because he doesn't have time, but because of their intentions. What they were looking for, what they were planning on doing, that's why Jesus was going to move on. There's a difference between why Jesus was there versus what they wanted him there for. (laughs) To be saved. The Messiah. The one that has come to save There's a difference between what they thought being saved and what Jesus means by being saved. The picture of the kingdom of God and what it really is were different. See, before men could call him Messiah, he had to teach them what Messiah meant. Not a conquering king, but a suffering servant. The way he lived out his life revealed what it really meant. He silenced demons because people didn't know what, what it meant to be the Messiah. And if they started out with the wrong idea, they would miss the whole thing. Think about how many, how many during Jesus' lifetime... Missed the Messiah because they didn't understand what it was. After his death, think about how many people missed the Messiah because they didn't understand what it was. There's a whole nation of people still waiting for the Messiah because they didn't know what the Messiah was. He's, think of how many. Is it possible that sometimes we miss it? So let's take a moment and just think about the Messiah, okay? Let, let's define it. Our terms versus God's terms. Our def- definition versus God's definition. Now, this could probably use a little bit of work, but here's my rough, here's my rough uh, definition for, from us. And, okay, let's be nice. It's really their problem, okay? So it was them. This was their de- de- definition of Messiah, Heal my hurt, fix my relationships, fix my finances, calm my storm, change those I love into what I want them to be. Let me, did you hear that? Change those I love into what I want them to be. Come on, Messiah. Make Israel great again. Miga. Okay, I might have made that one up a little bit, but uh, get me to heaven, Messiah. Okay. I mean, isn't that what they wanted? Make Israel great? God's definition of Messiah. Different. God's definition of Messiah. Prophet. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, I'm in the role of prophet right now. You are wanting something else. Right now, my job as prophet to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God. That's what a prophet does, you know. God's mouthpiece. It's what he was there for. God's definition of Messiah is prophet, priest. To deliver his people Spiritually to redeem them of their sin, from their sin. He accomplished this salvation through his death and resurrection. You see what's kind of happening here? If we think back to formation, right? The prophet, priest, and lastly, king. Jesus will deliver his people from their physical enemies when he sets up his kingdom on the earth. See, the crowd was simply looking for king. That's it. They missed the prophet piece. They missed the priest piece. All they wanted, all they thought was king. We're gonna, there's going to be a guy that comes in, and he's going to come and kick out Rome, and he's going to take his place on the throne. And Israel's going to be great again. Jesus' statement reveals that they had a limited understanding not only of the Messiah, though, they had a limited understanding of the kingdom of God. So let's work on that for a minute. So we, we, we kind of got the whole Messiah thing sort of defined, worked out. Let's look at the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is present wherever God is reigning. I mean, if you had to define what the kingdom of God is, it's not a geographical location. You couldn't go, okay, so here it is on the map. It's about a relationship with him. Therefore, the kingdom of God is here. Their understanding of the kingdom of God was, quite simply, Israel. That's it. That Jesus would sit on the throne of David, and he would rule over Israel. God's definition of his kingdom is wherever he reigns, where he's obeyed, where we do what he wants. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. That should pause right there. Thy kingdom come. Oh, there it is, the kingdom of God, right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, oftentimes in, in Hebrew teachings, what they would do is, is they would use the phrase and they'd repeat it. And the, the first one was kind of a general, the second defined what, it, what the first one meant. Thy kingdom come means that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Do You catch that? Thy kingdom come. Which means thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Both Messiah and Kingdom of God were things they knew about, but didn't understand. Now, with that kind of groundwork, think about the difference here, because we, as we kind of transition, think about think about the scene again. Just days before, according to, if we, if we stick with you know, time, sort of a timeline, just, just a short time before, Jesus had visited his hometown, and he, and he shared in the synagogue, and when he gets done sharing in the synagogue, you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to drag him out to the cliff and drop him off. Okay? What a big contrast. Now he's in Capernaum, and instead of wanting to drag him off to the cliff and then killing him, instead... They don't want him to leave. Now, I see it's possible that this was a little bit of an appealing thing. Okay? I mean, what a contrast between the two. I definitely don't want to go back to Nazareth, right? I mean, this would be a good place to hang out. And yet, the first words he spoke after being with the Father was that I need to keep going. I need to go to the next town. I need to keep proclaiming. What I see in this is Jesus escaped to a solitary place and he prayed. He spent time with God, his Father, to stay connected to his purpose. I mean, if you think that Jesus wasn't, didn't have these things, moments that were, this is appealing. I think you missed that he actually had emotion. They were going to listen to what he's going to say. And yet, Jesus comes out and He says, look, I've got to keep going. Even though the crowd was, was wrong, it doesn't mean it wasn't attractive to, to Jesus. To be swept up, hoisted on their shoulders. We as people, as humans, oftentimes find significance in what others think of us. If we put that into this story just for a moment, think about this. What they were thinking of him, even though it was wrong, doesn't mean it wasn't attractive. It's a good thing he went out to be with the Father, because it's kept him connected to his purpose. God's purpose is where Jesus found his significance. So now let's put on the lens of Christ being formed in you, okay? Christ being formed in me. How do we look at this? Number one is this. As he's formed in you, it's about the kingdom of God. His kingdom, not our kingdom. In your walk with God, in your relationship of being saved as a Christian, it is not about your kingdom. It is about his kingdom. That's what he is all about. Jesus is about the kingdom of God. So as He's formed in you, guess what? It's going to be about not your kingdom. I had, for a brief moment, I had this brilliant idea while I was writing the sermon. I said I kind of had this conversation. God, would it'd be really great if You just gave me like, uh, like a word that every time I made it about my kingdom, that I would see that word. And then I thought, wait a minute, I don't want that. That'd be terrible. Probably be surprised how many times that word popped up, right? How many times did I make it about my kingdom and not his kingdom? As Christ is formed in me, it's not about my kingdom, it's about his kingdom. And the second thing is we must understand what it means having him as our Messiah. Let me rephrase that having him as Messiah, not just our Messiah. Messiah. Prophet. You see this? His role in our lives to speak truth. That We actually can have conversation with him. That we can capture our thoughts and say, Jesus, what do you say about this? Wait a minute, just because I thought it doesn't mean it's right. Just because I felt it doesn't mean I should run with it. I probably should bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you say? Prophet. Correcting us, enlightening, challenging, calling. Messiah as prophet. Messiah as priest to heal us from our sin nature and from the damage our personal sin brings. When we talk about sin, we got two different pieces of it. We talk about sin is, is are the choices that we make. But we have sin is also that thing we inherited and as priest He can handle both of those things. Sometimes we let him handle one, but not the other. We have to understand what it means to have him as Messiah. Lastly, as king. Because we're part of his kingdom. Not not that he's part of our kingdom. We're part of his kingdom. He's not part of ours. He can't fit into our kingdom. He's too big. So let's just scrap our kingdom and recognize we're part of his. Number three, I think as, as I look at Jesus and I see how he went out to be with the Father. The pull of the crowd The success of the night before, there's some satisfaction there. But What they were looking for wouldn't have accomplished his mission. What they wanted wouldn't have accomplished what he was, in, what was, what he was here for. He had to find his significance somewhere other than them. Let me ask you this. You don't have to raise a hand or anything like that. I just want to think about it for a minute, okay? This is a real tough question, okay? You ready? So would you rather, you get to pick one or the other, okay? Oh, come on, Renee, they're great. Okay, would you rather die rich but never make a difference in the world? Or would you rather die poor knowing that you impacted Others for Christ. Who would rather die rich but not make a difference in the world? Okay, nobody's willing to admit they're shallow. That's good. Okay, all right. But you know what? That's it. As we, I think, as we mature, as we grow older, there is something we want: significance. I was talking to a gentleman the other day who was looking back. Um, He was looking through some archives from the military. And he found a picture of himself when he was, in the, when he was young and in the military. And he, and he, and he shared that, uh, look, I was in charge of all these people. And he goes, now, I can't get my wife to do what I want her to, right? Uh, <laughs> you know what that was, though? It's at a point in his life where he's looking back and he goes, did I make a difference? Is there any significance to my life? Because we care more about significance than success. Deep down there, we are wired this way. Significance is more important than success. Jesus connected, stayed connected to significance because he was with the Father. It will not be found, for us it will not be found in success but sticking with God's mission. What we're here for. Why we are sent. I heard this quote. I really like it. I'm sorry I don't have an author for it, but it says this. The, the two greatest moments in a person's life, the moment you were born and the moment you realized what you were born for. Why you were born, sorry. Why you were born. The moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. The two greatest moments in a Christian's life. The moment you receive Jesus as your Savior. As Messiah. And the moment that he reigns in you. That The moment his kingdom comes where his will is done in me like it is in heaven. The two greatest moments in a Christian's life. Will you let him proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to you? Will you let him be prophet? Will you continue to let him heal your personal sin and your sin nature? And will you step off the throne and give it to him? Will you allow him to be prophet, priest, and king? Maybe ask the question, where am I finding my significance? I mean, right now, where am I finding my significance? Careful, because ultimately it boils down to pride. Will you pray with me this morning, please? And let's pray for Michael as he is called off on an emergency, okay? Lord Jesus, I pray that we as a church, that we as Christians here in, in our community, we allow you to be our prophet, our priest, and our king. We look at this story, and each time we look at it, I pray that you would remind us. You came for a purpose. You found significance in your Father's plan. And as you're formed in us, that same truth applies. Would you put your finger on that place in our life right now that that you're saying "This, this needs to change? Lord Jesus, I pray for Michael today as he goes off to an emergency. We don't know what it is. I pray it's nothing but... Would you give him the skills needed? And would you help him to be the presence of you in whatever he goes out to face right now? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? Well, let me end with this. Go now, follow where Christ calls you, and proclaim the message God gives you. Wait in hope for God. Avoid becoming bound up in the business, busyness of this world, but live in readiness for the inbreaking of the kingdom. May God be your haven and your glory. May Christ Jesus give you courage for his mission. And may the Spirit embrace your soul in God's silence. We go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. You are dismissed. Have a great day.